Every day during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street is spending 10 minutes or so with readers and book lovers from around the world, asking them what they're reading and what they'd recommend to anyone with a bit of time on their hands. Today I'm spending 10 minutes or so with literary agent and World Fantasy Award-nominated bibliographer John Berline, who joins me from deepest, darkest London. Hello, John. Hello, hello, and welcome to... uh... Actually, it's quite sunny today in London, um, but of course, I'm, but of course, I'm not going outside to enjoy it. <laughs> See, spiritually dark. <laughs> it's spirit, spirit. Well, that's that. That's certainly true. But uh, but we keep our spirits up nonetheless. <laughs> so how how are you? How are you? How are you coping with everything at the moment? Uh, I think. Uh, actually, I've, I was listening. I've been listening to quite a few of these ten minutes with. Uh, and most people have the same answer, which is, "Well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Or I'm doing okay, all things considered." And I think that's true for most people. It's certainly true for me. Uh, I would rather not be having to cope uh, and managing under these circumstances, but I, uh, you know, I, I think one counts one's blessings and uh, and looks at what one has and makes the best of what, of what there is. Um, I'm pretty excited that this is happening during a time when I can have a Skype conversation with you all the way in Australia rather than having to do this by, you know, um, uh, post or something. I would not want to be in a flat in Manhattan in 1950. I think that would be very, very difficult. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in a high-rise flat of any kind, actually, even now, um, with no outdoor space. But, But, you know, I think... It's it's going okay. Uh, I am very very lucky and privileged to be able to continue to run my business in this these dark ages. Um, I can you know I closed down the office. I brought everything that I needed home, and I'm able to function exactly as I would do if I'm at the office. I can still pay clients. I can still communicate with editors. I can still speak to clients. I can still do my job. Um, so business is, is is functioning very, very well. How the industry will function and is functioning and, and how the industry itself will be affected is uh, something that would take us a lot longer than 10 minutes. to. to well, happen. yes, that's true. Well, I mean, allowing that 10 minutes is conceptual rather than necessarily chronological, um, I, I, I will follow the segue. I mean, we were chatting about this a moment before. I mean... Do you think this is going to be a watershed moment for for publishing? Uh, do you think things will change? Do you have a feeling for 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 how, or do you think it's just too early to say? Well, I think um, it is undoubtedly the case that nobody knows anything. Um, we can predict and presume and speculate and consider the evidence and extrapolate. But really, there's no rule book for what's gone on. There's no menu or bullet pointed list that we can refer to that will allow us to navigate our way to what happens in the near future and what happens in the far future. Um, Publishing is a very um, slow moving industry um i i often liken it to um doing a three-point turn in an oil tanker i mean that's how sort of quickly it it moves um but um at the same time oh i would just add actually that it's a very resilient industry and that uh, you know things can happen but it generally sort of bounces back um but at the same time 
what's happening globally with this extraordinary circumstance of the pandemic, um, publishing can't remain unaffected. Publishing will have to find some way to be nimbler than it usually is. It will have to find some way to adapt. We're certainly seeing a lot of the big corporate publishers have had to adapt their working practices because people have had to work from home. So whether they will return to their glossy, marble-clad, silver-windowed towers after this, um, whether they want to spend the money on the rent, frankly, um, will be be very interesting to see what happens. Um, A lot of publishers, as we know, are rescheduling their books like crazy, um, so there will be short-term effects on as the distribution chains sure. um, themselves, as the bookstores slowly sort of creep towards opening. And um, so, you know, but really ultimately what's going to happen is I think we will reach uh, a reality that is not dissimilar from what we've had before, but maybe the methods uh, will be, will have to have adapted a little bit. Yeah. It's my experience, such as it is, much lesser than your own, but that, uh, publishing is an intensely social business for all that it seems to be surrounded by moments of isolation. The actual writing, the editing and stuff are, are solitary acts, but the business is not. It's a social thing. Are you, is that surviving, do you think? How, how do you, how are you seeing that change? Oh, at the moment, everything's just in stasis. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's one of the most glorious things about what we do is the social aspect of it. It is, you know, it's, it's less so now, but it, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for a deal to be done over a lunch, for a contract to be written on the back of a serviette and the serviette to be lost by the drunken editor or the drunken agent <laughs> on the bus on the way home. Um, but I'm going back quite a few years there before, certainly before my time. Um, but you know the 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 idea of of meeting people face to face, whether it's me meeting clients or prospective clients, whether it's me having lunch with an editor, whether it's editors and publishers sitting around a table at an acquisitions meeting, sure. whether it is everybody having very very pleasant downtime at conventions, which mm-hmm. uh, was where you and I first came yes. across each other, yeah. um, and business being done in such a way that you're not actually doing business but you're planting seeds that become you know young saplings that become publishing contracts down the line that is in stasis at the moment Mm. um i think you're absolutely right in that it's part of the lifeblood of of how publishing operates so but you know we're not going to be in this situation forever this thing will repair itself this thing will uh, eventually either be cured or will go away or we'll just find ways around the obstacles it's presented us with and uh, we will be able to go for lunch again and we shall be able to drink heavily at conventions again. And <laughs> my goodness me, I'm looking forward to that. We are so looking forward to that. Whenever <laughs> that happens, I'm I'm ready. I'm not, I mean, I, I feel for the people who run events. I really do. I look at their virtual events and I wish them well. But the lifeblood of the experience for me, and I think probably for yourself, doesn't happen in a virtual event. It's those people that you meet, that socialization, socializing. That's what really makes it all worthwhile. And it also, yeah, right, it, it, it allows things to grow you wouldn't surprises. expect. It's the surprises that come from that because you yeah. never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to, you know. I'm, I, 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 I 
I'm upset sometimes when I hear that people may have had bad experiences at conventions trying to meet an agent or to, you know, or they were rebuffed or somebody was rude to them because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who I met tons of time. I have begun relationships with professional publishing people, whether it's clients, whether it's editors, tons and tons have come from convention experiences, tons and tons. Well, actually, let, let me ask you this, which forks off that, and it's probably something which people listening would want to know. From your perspective, what is it that a writer has to do to get done at the attention of someone like you? At a convention or just generally? Just general, well, generally, at a convention, generally. You know, there are writers who, who want agents. There are publishers who won't deal with books unless they come through agents. And agents do wonderful work. So, you know, you're critic, a critical part of this ecosystem. But, new, you know, people are starting struggle to understand how to interface with that. That's a very good question. Um, and the... Answer, I guess, if there is a, a single answer, is that um, you're right. Agents are part of the ecosystem, which means that we need to, we need clients, we need mm. writers in oh, order yeah. for us to exist part of the ecosystem. So uh, agents generally are open to approach. Yes. Now, the nature of the approach is actually uh, the delicate thing. Sure. Because nobody, whether they're an agent, whether they are somebody um, who runs a shop, whether you are anybody working in any form of business, you don't want to be approached by somebody who uh, is who comes across as uh, um, weird, for want of a better word. You are much more likely to respond to somebody who comes to you with a friendly and professional approach. Sure. Uh, who wishes to be taken um, um, or to be perceived as, as somebody who is making a professional approach. So, so really, um, you know, I, I, I often find doing conventions, doing panels at conventions, at the end of the panel, inevitably there is, um, I sort of recognize it now, there's a wave of people that tend to come towards mm-hmm. you, sometimes lurching, limping towards yeah, yeah, you, yeah. slavering. Um, and my feeling is that every single person has to be um, dealt with with the utmost courtesy and the utmost pleasantness, and and as I would wish to be, were I in the position of trying to hook an agent myself. But really, what what what's going to be important is whether the work is good, whether the well, work that, is going. That's certainly what takes it through. I mean, when people ask me, "How do you get work to me to, to edit? How do you get my attention for what the things I do?" And I'll say, "Write something good," which is a really unhelpful thing to say right it's glib but it's but it's the nub of things actually. It, it, it's it, kind it's of like it's the nub of it all but there's also yeah. this thing because you know if somebody wants to be represented by john, john berline right they've got to actually somehow meet you and one thing that i've noticed is not all writers are naturally social creatures yeah many yeah, many, year, many years ago garth nixon some friends and i held a we held a, a, a thing at the uh embassy in manhattan for australian writers and we asked all the agents to come right so they could meet australian writers they all all came and not quite to a person but those those writers they hung back they talked to their friends and the agents are kind of going well we're here we're having a drink it's all very pleasant you're going and every now and again someone's going go over talk to me how do you talk to an agent you're going they're just people yeah well that's key to it that that is actually key to it in that situation all those agents are there 
they can't then legislate for the shyness of other people. And it's no. not the agent's job to sort of teach people how to, uh, you know, conduct themselves in a social situation. That's not what we're there for. No, but do you um, ever think you could be, do you ever feel like you're, like you're intimidating to them? I would hope not. I really would hope no. not. Um, I, I, you know, the, one thing I can say about this, Jonathan, is I began my profession. I trained to be an actor. I went to mm. drama school, yeah. trained as an actor, and I worked as an actor for many, many years. Um, and I had agents when I was an actor. Been, I went through about six agents, and I never, ever found an agent who, was, who thought I was as good as I thought I was <laughs> as an actor, uh, which was unfortunate and maybe why I'm now a literary agent. But um, what I can say then is that I've had the experience of having to network, of having to be, yeah. uh, find an angle, find some way of approaching somebody. And uh, when really the, even if you're just sort of saying, hello, how are you? What you're really saying is, oh my God, please, can you take me on? Please get me a job. And so you try to hide that subtext all the time. Um, so I've, I've been allowed to have some insight into the very problem that you're, sure. that you're alluding. To. Yeah. Um, and my suggestion, really, is just to try and conduct yourself professionally. And remember that, first of all, you're right, agents are just people. Um, secondly, the agents do need clients in order to exist. Sure. So we are looking for people. Thirdly, that really we are looking for work that we can sell. Mm-hmm. Um, now, actually, I am fairly approachable as an agent, and the, the route to get to me would be through uh, uh, the agency website, yeah. Um, uh, which is xenoagency.com. On that website, um, there are submission guidelines which very, very clearly instruct you how you should approach the agency. And in yeah. fact, they are they're put there deliberately to make life easy for you, yeah. to minimize the possibility of making errors. And they're also there to make life easy for me because if sure. I can see that somebody simply followed those guidelines and bothered to read what we wrote, then I should probably reciprocate and be bothered to read what they send in. Yeah. So there's a sort of quiet, tacit agreement between the two parties <laughs> just by going to the website and looking at the and looking yeah. at how we like to receive our material. Um, now, in terms of things like query letters, which is where this uh, conversation sort of sort mm. of goes a little bit, um, I am looking for people who I'm in a very privileged position. Yeah. I am able to take on people that I want to work with. I don't sure. have to take on people I don't want to work with. I don't have to fill my list. My list is 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 buoyant and 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 impressive and all those things. So I'm not necessarily looking for anything. Yeah. But if somebody approaches me in a professional manner um, and says, you know, I am so and so. I've written so and so. I've written this book. Uh, it's about you know, two lines of what it's about. I enclose, uh, or please find attached, uh, the first three chapters and the synopsis. Um, that's all I need. Yeah. And I'll look at it. Yeah. At which point, it's down to the work. It's not down to the approach. At which point, it's down to the work. Now, sometimes I might like something, and then what will I do? I'll probably Google the author's name. Yeah. And if at that point I find out that they may not be a, you know, let's say they have, uh, you know... Whatever. Some... Whatever it is, I don't have to then pursue it. Yeah, because um, because this is the other thing. I mean, something I found in my own experience, and I don't know if it gels with your thinking on this, but it's my experience, right? For all that it's a business uh, relationship, a, an agent and a writer, an agent and a client, it's a partnership. It's not 
kind of like, you're working for me, you're working for me. It's like, you're in it together. You kind of got to get on. Yeah, choosing an agent is like choosing a, a, a wife or yeah. a husband. It's, it's a partnership. Um, it can be a very intensely personal relationship because you can get involved in each other's lives. Mm. Um, and there are particularly for writers that, that often work reflects life. People write about what they know. People write about their experiences. And um, sometimes that work may need improvement before it's ready to go to market mm. and the there has to be a forum between the two right sure, and the agent sure. for that conversation to take place so it is it is not not every agent's going to be right for you if no. you're looking for an agent not every client is going to be right for you actually let me ask you has that changed has the during your career as an agent has the role of the agent as editor changed in your opinion um yes in so far as the agent really is the well, actually, the, the, very often um, spouses or partners are the first editors sure. of material, um, and there are many a good writer who is uh, whose work is vastly improved by them sharing their material with their partner or their spouse, mm -hmm. uh, and the spouse or partner giving an honest appraisal of the material. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes anywhere, but when it comes to me. Um, I have to look at it with a slightly different set of eyes than just from the creative point of view. I have to look at it and think, will it sell? Can I yeah. sell it? Yeah. Is there an editor that I think I could persuade to read this book? And then could they then persuade their sales and acquisitions people to part with money? And then could the publishing company then persuade the retail people to stop the book? And then could the retail people then persuade the public to buy the book? And that, that the whole package is sure. repeated throughout sure. the process. Um, but choose, so choosing an agent, just because an agent gives you an offer of representation, for goodness sake, doesn't mean you should take it. No, um, no. You should, uh, uh, you should investigate that agent, make <laughs> sure that they're someone that you want to work with. Um, and I don't know, ask around, ask yeah, of course, their yeah. existing client, if you know them. Um, it's like a job interview. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it comes back a little bit to the earlier question is how do you approach an agent? You would approach it like you would approach a job interview. You would um, want to make a good impression. You would want to be knowledgeable about the business into which you are trying to insert yourself. Sure. You would want to um, be seen to be personable and communicable and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Even though it's not also kind of oddly like a situation where you're both at job interviews, you know. Yeah, well, you're both it, praising one party, yeah, praising yeah, the other. Yeah. Absolutely. So, with all of this, I mean, are you are you optimistic about where publishing is going? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's going to go away. We talked about that before before we started the recording, and I, I absolutely agree. Publishing exists. Books exist. People want stories, right? But then, you know, I mean, I was, actually, what I was going to say was, surely it seems to me the most heartbreaking part of being an agent, or one of them must be, and it ties to this, where no matter the quality of the book, the story, it may not have the market that you wish it would. Yeah, um, agents get involved on that basis, and it's not just the writers whose work is rejected. Mm. If I send something in and it's rejected. That's a, that I feel that very keenly. Yeah. I'm not so yeah. sort of hard nosed as to think, oh well, you know, 
throw that one away. There are plenty more writers in the world where that one came from. Uh, the reality is if I've taken something on, I've invested my time in it. Um, mm. I don't get paid until I've sold the damn thing. So I'm really, I'm invested in it. And it can be absolutely heartbreaking. There, there have been a number of experiences I've had where I know for a fact that the book I'm selling is fantastic. Yeah. It's top class. I, it has a market and I have not been able to sell the book. Um, yeah. Could it be down to, could be down to any other, any number of things. It could be down to a global pandemic descending on the world, for instance, that can change. You know, you send something out three weeks before this whole thing started. The likelihood is it's going to affect the, 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 the reception mm, of the submission. Very much. There are things completely outside my control. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, one does take it personally. And there are uh, some very, very good books that simply don't hit the right time or you know you have it where you send it to an, an editor who you knew you know is a shoe in they're going to love this book and then two weeks later they get fired yeah or, or they leave the business or they go on maternity leave or they go you know yeah the, 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 so much of it is in the lap of the gods but you know writers i hope are are aware that such circumstances aren't just about how it's not just about how they are affected. It's not them that's been rejected. The agent really, really keen on. Uh, and it can be a very dispiriting job on that basis. Yeah, but, you know, you know, so there are lows, but there are also great highs when you can sell a book and get somebody's career started. And many, many sort of things can be very, very rewarding uh, as a literary agent. Yeah. Best job ever. Well, let us segue to it to the matter at hand. Our ten minutes. Tell me, John, what are you reading, and is it any good? What am I reading? Is it any good? Well, I'll tell you this much. For the first couple of weeks of this experience, the pandemic experience, like many people, I'm at sixes and sevens, and I thought, oh, God, I can't read. What's going to happen? I'm never going to be able to read another book. I can't concentrate. I'm too worried about, you know, getting toilet paper, and uh, am I going to be able to eat? And you suddenly start thinking about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how we've all sort of slipped down a level because you're not worried about personal fulfillment anymore. You are literally worried about where you're going to sleep and what yeah. you're going to eat. So that was kind of really hard. Um, and it, it was actually the same with even watching TV and stuff. Mm. So I've no idea what, what I did for the first two or three weeks of this lockdown. Probably just stared at the walls. Um, but but staring at the walls, I have a lot of bookshelves on my walls. <laughs> and I'm starting to think, oh, look at that. I've not read that. Um, and... Um, so I, I started to sort of think I ought to try and dip into some of this stuff. Um, as you know, Jonathan, I started in the whole publishing uh, experience as a reviewer mm. uh, many, many years ago. Uh, and so for some several years, maybe a decade, I used to get sent a lot of books and uh, they're all on the shelves. Not all of them, but there's a lot of them on the shelves. And you can't review every book that you get sent. So the, a lot of them have gone unread. Mm. Um, so I, I, I initially started my lockdown reading as I eased myself back into it, um, thinking, you know, I sh I've got a bunch of time. I should start reading some of this stuff. Um, so I picked up um, the first of Stephen Erickson's Manners and Books of the Fallen, which I've got uh, that beautiful 10-book series, all in first edition. Some yeah. of them are signed by Steve. And, uh, yeah, I thought I've never bloody read any of them. So 
So I picked up the Gardens of the Moon. I was reading that, and that was every bit as good as I was. Pretty, pretty. Um, uh, it's, it's. It, what was my experience of that? It's not for people that haven't read fantasy before. That's for sure. <laughs> so it's a pretty challenging, yeah. deep-seated, uncompromising. You are straight in there, and you need to work out what the hell's going on for yourself because I, the author, am not going to help you. <laughs> um, so I've sort of started. I've only got nine more to read. I need nine more <laughs> pandemics. Yeah. Um, you might need an extra pandemic. Thinking, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, the other book I read uh, off the shelf was China Mieville's Rail Sea, which I'd never read. Uh, I love that. It was a very, very enjoyable book, uh, just as I'd heard it was, but I just never got around to reading it. And so once I sort of got my reading under uh, under under control again, uh, I used the time to dip into some client backlist that I'd not read. I read um, uh, I read Jack of Shadows, Roger Zelazny, which yep, I'd not well, read yep. before. Um, I read Jonathan Carroll. Uh, I read Bones of the Moon, Jonathan Carroll. Now, Jonathan, I've recently taken on as a client. I love that book. Um, which is a gorgeous book. It's a gorgeous book. And I'm, I'm very, very lucky to... Carroll's one of those writers who... Uh, one of my sort of writers of my formative years, one of those writers who turned me into the reader that I am mm. today. Uh, anyone that knows me will know there are other writers such as uh, Tim Powers, James Blaylock, mm-hmm. Carol is one of them, Gibson is one of them. And I'm actually now lucky enough to be working with these people as, which is as the UK yeah. which is a, a thing I sort of pinch myself about on a regular basis. So I was reading, dipping into that. Um, I was also kind of, you know, so once my sort of reading confidence had come back, mm-hmm. uh, I picked up some a couple of things that are coming out. Yeah, um, they're actually crime books. I read um, a book called The Thursday Murder Club, uh, which is coming out from Viking here uh, in August, unless they've moved it now, by um, a guy called Richard Osman. That was extremely enjoyable, sort of cozy, a kind of cozy crime. Yeah. Um, Slightly lighthearted. I read a very ingenious uh, crime book called Eight Detectives by Alex Parvesi, which I think is a debut yeah. uh, coming from Michael Joseph fairly soon. A completely ingenious crime book. And I don't read a lot of crime. Um, and the other forthcoming book I read was Jasper Ford's The Constant Rabbit. Really? Okay. Which is, uh, if anybody hasn't read Jasper Ford, uh, well worth reading, very whimsical, very, very funny, and very, um, very uh, satirical. And in fact, this is a wonderful book, but the the slightly, um, the slightly sort of sad thing about it is it's very much a a book parodying our Brexit experience here in the UK. (laughs) And right now, Brexit, interestingly, is something that nobody is talking about because we all got bigger subject to yes no one cares that's for later it's it's starting to come back onto the agenda but um uh so the constant rabbit was 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 wonderful um and i also read and i would recommend people maybe think about doing this uh so well actually let me rephrase that i would not in any way uh, go so far as to suggest what people should be reading during this lockdown. It's a completely personal uh, process, but I found that reading things that didn't challenge me too much were very, very useful. 
the idea of a bit of whimsy, the idea of a bit of sort of mindless adventure, the idea of something truly escapist rather than something that depicted um, a dystopian present, because we're already living in that scenario, and I don't wish to glorify it in my reading. If I want to read that, if I want that, I'll just watch the news. Um, So something truly escapist. And I picked up uh, the other... Last week I was reading um, Michael Rutger, The Anomaly. Now, Michael Rutger is a pen name for Michael Marshall Smith. Um, Brilliant, brilliant writer. And this is a a really... um, kind of Indiana Jones type archaeology kind of Tomb Raider type of thing and it wasn't, it was in no way something that challenged my my, I didn't have to scratch my head understanding it, it was just a sort of romp, yeah. a roller coaster romp and wow it released some great endorphins that book, <laughs> just, just mindless adventure and, and I felt really sort of, it was very cathartic because I yeah. just felt I really needed that, yeah. I really needed that as a reader um, uh, and that's kind of most of this except at the moment I'm reading um, a, a, another one from my bookshelf archive, I finally picked up Galileo's Dream by Kim Stanley Robinson um, and I'm starting well I'm about 10% what we describe percents nowadays not pages, I'm about 10-12% into the, this book and it's wonderful so relaying all that I realised that I did clearly manage to get back onto my reading you did, so, you've been reading like a man you've also kind of Answered that what's normally the second question is, you know, what would you recommend that people seek out? And it seems to be what you'd rec- recommend is seek out something that you're going to find rewarding in the moment. Yeah, something that will give you pleasure. I yeah, think we're yeah. living in this time that we're, go- this experience we're all going through is robbing us of a lot of our freedoms and robbing us of a lot of our pleasures. And even though it is making us perhaps focus on the things that we do have, but the idea of reading a book, whatever the book is, whether if you get pleasure from reading a really challenging book that's, uh, or you get pleasure from nonfiction books or reading yeah. history or whatever releases those endorphins in you. For me, it tends to be escapist stuff. Um, I tell you, one other thing I've, I've done is I've, I've listened to some audio books as well. And for the first time I read Jane Eyre, I never read, listened to the audio book of Jane Eyre, narrated by Tandy Newton, yeah. who people may know from Westworld, fantastic actress. I never read Jane Eyre before. Yeah. Um, it's just brilliant. Oh mm-hmm. my god. It's just brilliant. And the men are such idiots in that book. So <laughs> I just couldn't believe how stupid and awful the men were. Um, um, so I read that, which I just thought was breathtaking. Um, yeah. I read... Stephen Fry reading, well, I listened to Stephen Fry reading his heroes. Um, uh, he's reinterpreted the Greek myths. I would listen to Stephen Fry reading his shopping list to me. I just think he should be officially the narrator of every single uh, audio <laughs> ever produced. He's just brilliant. That was highly entertaining. And the last thing I listened to that I finished only yesterday was a nonfiction book called The Time Traveller's Guide to Elizabethan England. by Ian Mortimer, uh, which was brilliant. And again, even though it's non-fiction, it's not an academic work. It literally is, is literally uh, what would happen, what you would have to know if you woke up tomorrow and found yourself in Elizabethan England. It's a practical guide. It's like, what do they eat? How do they wipe their 
backsides? What do they say to each other? Where would you stay? What shouldn't you do? Uh, why bear baiting is really cool if you're a Elizabethan. <laughs> um, and it's just couched in terms of stuff you would need. To, it's a guide. Yeah. This is stuff you would need to know. Um, highly recommend. I really, really okay. enjoyed that. And I, I would understand if it's very difficult to pick amongst the family of people you work with, but is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you would particularly uh, recommend people keep an eye out for uh, in the coming time? Well, how long have we got? <laughs> everything, he says. Just link to my website and tell them to get everything. <laughs> um, yeah, there are certainly some highlights. Um, certainly this new Jonathan Carroll book that I am uh, out with at the moment. Uh, it's called Mr. Breakfast, and it's just the work of un- unparalleled... <laughs> unparalleled genius yeah um uh we've got i don't know um there's a new book which i worked on for jabberwocky uh sold it in the uk um by uh nick martell oh yes yeah i've heard um, of this yes that's well worth looking at. Uh, Levy's stuff, Levy Tidar, of course, I know you've had on, on here. By Force Alone? Uh, what by a book. Force Alone is, gosh, By Force Alone is really a, a tour de force in, in itself. It's quite, uh, quite something is that. And I know Levy has got something, he's nearly finishing a second book, uh, that will be published by Head of Juice. And I, I was going to say, it's not a sequel, but it is, it is, it will not disappoint readers who enjoyed by force alone. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, and he's got some stuff coming out on the Jabberwocky ebook program. So, Levy's very, as you know, a very, very productive. Mm. Uh, he has an extraordinary work ethic and always just comes up with jaw dropping uh, stuff. Um, and we've got old Ben Aronovich who. Um, the clients of mine, Ben, is just completing his latest novella, uh, and that will be coming out, I think, ideally in October, November. Although, please don't write in if I've got that wrong. <laughs> uh, it may, it may yet get moved, of course. Um, so there's there's tons and yeah. tons of stuff uh, going on. Aliette de Bodard, another client of mine, yes. Aliette has got some great stuff coming out. She um, she's got a new novella coming through. So there is, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have yeah, yeah. such extraordinary stable of writers who are coming up with, with wonderful, exciting work. Um, so it could be worse. Could be worse. Well, look, thank you, John, for making time to talk to me today. I appreciate it enormously. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Likewise, Jonathan. It's a great privilege to talk to you. Thanks very, very much. Okay.